Hello, welcome to the Patriotic Communist. This is the podcast where I talk about the current events through the lens of my socialist ideology, and where I do my part in undoing the brainwashing against socialism and communist ideologies that the United States is so efficient at. I love this country, and we are in the historical context where we will choose socialism or barbarism. Now time for current events. This week I will be talking about COVID-19 and how it's exposing the immoral and unsustainable nature of capitalism. Now before I get into that, which that the main subject of current events, I wanted to mention something about the election that I forgot to mention in my last current events segment, which was about the 2020 Democratic presidential primary. And that would be the fact that there is no credibility to these election results. There's strong evidence that they're fraudulent. And you're not going to hear this talked about practically anywhere. Uh, I'll give credit to the Jimmy Dore show as well as the uh, anti-war movement Code Pink as well as Max Blumenthal's Gray Zone uh, journalism enterprise as they have literally been the only places I have seen mention this. So basically... Any institution that is made to protect democracy and investigate election fraud would agree that significant disparities between exit polls and the vote count is strong evidence of the result of an election being manipulated. It's a well-agreed-upon tool for monitoring the integrity of an election. And it seems a whole lot more obvious if every single discrepancy is damaging to Bernie Sanders. The only major candidate that was not taking corporate money. And guys, there have been a ton of huge disparities that have all been negative to the anti-corporate progressive. Interesting, huh? And these aren't small discrepancies. These are double-digit discrepancies. They're giant. Uh, I'm going to read part of a press release posted on grayzone.com, which is a website I recommend to all you guys. There's great uh, articles on it and stuff. And the title of this press release is the gray zone and code pink demand emergency OAS election observers in the 2020 Democratic presidential primary. The 2020 Democratic presidential primary, I'm reading the article now, by the way, has also been marred by unusual disparities between exit polling and difficult-to-verify computer counts. For example, computerized vote counts in the South Carolina primary deferred substantially from the exit poll, exceeding the margin of error yet again. It was there that Biden's vote count exhibited the largest increase of 8.3% from his exit poll projection. In New Hampshire's primary, meanwhile, computerized vote counts were substantially greater than the exit poll margin of error. Buttigieg's official unverified computer-generated vote totals represented a whopping 12% increase from the exit poll. The press release also mentions that the United States is one of the world's only industrialized countries that relies exclusively on computerized vote counting, which is not transparent and publicly observable. Most democracies verify election results through the use of paper ballots, which are counted by hand and publicly observable. This opaque, chronically malfunctioning, and highly discriminatory system demands outside accountability. And I could not agree more with that. So that is the press release, or 
you know, some, some pieces of it. They came out of thegrayzone.com, an outlet I would, again, recommend. And again, I appreciate the important work they're doing fighting for democracy, which no other outlets are apparently doing. This press release came out on the 10th, March 10th of 2020, to be specific. And let me tell y'all, they are not investigating it. Not a single remotely mainstream outlet is reporting on this and also this troublesome trend of discrepancies that only go one way is not stopping. This is the case in almost every single state that holds a primary. I'm not kidding. The results of this election can't be trusted for a fucking second. And yes, they are also suppressing the vote through closing polling stations and poor neighborhoods and other dirty tricks. But that's just a distraction for the fact that they are literally rigging the actual results of the election. Russia isn't a threat to our election integrity. The intelligence community and political and political corporate establishment is the threat to our democracy. I mean, they are the legit experts at bullshitting democracy, and our own democracy is no exception. Anyways, now time for the main story of this week, and decade for that matter, the COVID-19 virus. As I am sure you are all aware, we're in the midst of a pandemic. The United States has become the epicenter of the virus, and we are seeing the beginning of an economic depression since our economy was a house of cards and the only way to reduce the spread of such a pandemic is to keep everyone inside and reduce any type of social gatherings and non-essential services, which causes a capitalist economy to take a heavy hit. And uh, what we need is widespread mobilization of medical resources, rapid expansion of hospital space, and a dramatic time-sensitive mobilization of production to achieve this. We also need a nationwide shutdown and economic aid to every single American in order to put the economy effectively on pause and make sure that the supply chains of food, medicine, and medical equipment is reinforced. Needless to say, we have not done any of this. Instead, our hyper-capitalist system has exploited the crisis through the state and the corporations conspiring together in order to take advantage of the devastated market, which is what the $2 trillion stimulus package was. I'm going to talk more about that in a second, but we are going to see a horror show at our hospitals for months. We are going to see millions of people get infected and hundreds of thousands of people are going to die without a doubt, perhaps even millions. My heart goes out to all the doctors and uh, nurses that are on the front lines of this pandemic. You guys are all the heroes right now. Uh, you guys are pretty much fighting a war right now, so you are war heroes for this society. You are protecting us. And also, my deepest gratitude goes to anyone that is working in a grocery store or any other essential service that I'm sure just about everybody feels like they have taken for granted right about now, such as garbage, postal, and energy services. It is a disgrace that our government has not managed to prepare the nation's health healthcare infrastructure for this situation with the proper protective equipment and is still currently failing to do so. I also think that it is worth mentioning that the death rate of this virus is a fluid statistic that not only depends on the actual deadliness of this virus, but it also depends on the treatment and healthcare that is available among a population. Once our hospitals start getting overburdened and our treatments start running out, which they probably will, then the death rate in our country is going to go up. 
So this COVID-19 crisis has really got the oligarchs in this country in a pickle, to put it mildly. Our economy was extremely unstable to begin with, and this crisis has put capitalism in an impossible position. Our political system is in between a rock and a hard place with its response. For the interests of public health, the more we shut every single non-essential function of our economy down, the better. But in the interests of the economy, this is all devastating. And what we have to do... And what we have to remember is that this economy disproportionately benefits the same people who control this country. So it makes sense that we are seeing the economy put above the people's lives. I mean, at the end of the day, that's why they continued with the elections in so many states for the Democratic primary. It's because Joe Biden was in a very good place, and they were not going to even entertain the idea of Bernie Sanders regaining his momentum. This is why Donald Trump is saying insane things like, maybe we can start going back to normal before any of the experts project we have even gone to the peak of this crisis. It's because all of the capitalists are freaking out, and they don't know what to do. And that's simply because capitalism uh, doesn't work with pandemics. It doesn't work with a whole bunch of things, but apparently it, it, it really doesn't work to handle a pandemic. But the real, real big part of the story right now is the atrocity of a bill that passed through the House and the Senate and has, and has gone all the way up to the president and passed that as well. Uh, so... Congress has responded to the idea of the economy pausing. But of course, since we are controlled by capitalists, the stimulus package has been used as a way of grotesque exploitation of this crisis by the owning class and put into motion a transfer of wealth and ownership to the 1% that we have never seen in modern history. They are basically doing the same thing they did in the 2008 recession, but on a much larger scale. What this is, is a giant giveaway to corporations with minimal strings attached during a time of a huge market crash, where all of the prices of assets are low, and the only people with extreme capital power are the ones that are getting it from the government. So these same powerful oligarchs that are having capital handed to them by the government will use it to buy up property and small businesses that are going under and foreclosures, and the list goes on. Pretty much anything you can buy that's worth anything. So you have a situation where the government is literally just handing over our country to the oligarchs. Now, the way they get away with this is they disguise it as a necessity for our economy to stay intact. They claim the dollar amount is much lower than it will ultimately be, and they put this legislation in the same bill as a direct help to Americans that we actually desperately need because of the economic crash. And, and all that that includes is a $1,200 cash payment directly to the people, as well as added benefits and funding to, the, to unemployment. And we desperately need both those things. But $1,200 will do nothing, really, in the bigger picture, and all of that money will go straight to the owning class anyways, in rent bills and phone bills, etc. And we need to make unemployment better to begin with. It is not adequate to deal with this financial unemployment crisis. So basically, the people get crumbs, and the corporations get tons. And that's not it. They also gave crumbs to the manufacturing of the medical equipment we desperately fucking need. They also gave crumbs to uh, state to states which could actually get the money 
to the hospitals. The the biggest part of the biggest most influential influential part of this bill by far is the consolidation of corporate ownership and, and just ownership of by the corporate class of this country. This is way more than a bailout. It's a power grab by the elite. As the economy slowly recovers, these assets that are bought up by these bailed out corporations uh, will recover along with the economy and we will be in a state of greater income and ownership inequality than we have ever seen in American history. This is a recipe for a revolution and they don't even know it. And the Democrats went along with it once they put in some meaningless oversight. Something like a five-person board who oversees $4 trillion exchange of wealth to the corporate state? There were more resources in this bill given to the surveillance of the American people, $500 million of it actually, into watching our movements, but only symbolic bullshit for oversight on a giant slush fund. This is disgusting. This is an extreme transfer of wealth. And in a capitalist world, that's an extreme transfer of power. Ask yourself the question, why did they put the corporate bailout in the same bill as the added unemployment benefits and direct payments to Americans? Why would they have all those things in the same bill? It's because it gives the politicians a fucking excuse for this extremely undemocratic and shady transfer of power, transfer of ownership. And while they give $4 trillion to corporations, they're only giving bits and crumbs to the people. And even bits and crumbs to hospitals and state governments, seriously, the amount of money they're giving to all those things, including our brave doctors and nurses, is pathetic compared to the $4 trillion. And I, I really do think that a lot of the politicians are going to regret being cowards. But I'm going to get to that later. Another thing I want to mention is you'll hear a lot of corporate news and everything say that this is a $500 billion uh, amount of money that's being given to corporations, but that's dishonest. It's a banking trick where they'll get more money over time and make a $4.5 trillion corporate slush fund. And I've heard smart economic expert people say that it's going to be a lot more than that. Uh, the only limitations on this money are again, pretty much symbolic. Stock buybacks are banned for like a fucking month. So, you know, after a month, you could just, you know, do as many stock buybacks as you want with this money. So this does nothing to protect workers. It does nothing to stop CEOs from enriching themselves with the money. It does nothing to stop the massive corporate consolidation that we are going to witness happen, which involves the crushing of small businesses and people's economic freedom. This is fucking criminal, and this is essentially a corporate coup, which is why that is in the name of this episode. I mean, I really... It's not really clickbait. This is really pretty much a corporate coup. And I'm no economist expert, but I've seen a lot of random economics experts come out of the woodwork and start talking on a lot of new shows that I like to watch, and they're saying the stuff that I'm saying. This is more than just this is more than just a bailout. This is a giant power grab. And the real genius behind this whole evil scheme is that we are in the middle of a pandemic. So we all have a huge incentive to not organize and protest. Now, I was actually naive about this when I heard Republicans talk about a UBI program because 
Originally, I thought they had actually realized that they have no choice but to help people in a significant way in order to maintain social and economic stability, excuse me, but I was wrong. They are going all out. We are diving into a recipe for a fascist state. Like I said at the beginning of this podcast, we are at that moment in history where it's socialism or barbarism. I mean, that has really been our two choices for a while now. It's just becoming more crystal clear every day. We are watching the government conspire with corporations and assisting their consolidation of power at our expense. They're spitting in the average American's face during a pandemic. They are exploiting a crisis boldly. The only socialism they support is corporate socialism. And this is all right out in the open during a time where this country is at its most vulnerable in a very long time. The pitchforks are coming. This will not continue to be ignored. It can't go on forever. And now the part of this current event segment that actually kind of hurts. This passed in the Senate 96 to 0. The House vote was by voice, so I can't say exactly who voted for it with certainty, but I'm fairly certain that pretty much every single politician that I believed in voted for this bill. Literally everyone other than some random libertarian from Kentucky, I'm pretty sure voted for this. Bernie Sanders gave a dramatic speech about how the Republicans put some ridiculous proposition in the bill, or it was something that they obviously needed to add, but the reality of the matter is that no matter what Bernie Sanders did or said, the end result of this bill would have been exactly the same. What do I mean when I say this? The Republicans put some stupid bullshit into the bill or took some shit out of the bill knowing that it would not pass the House in that format. They did this on purpose. It's negotiation tactics. It's like, if you're, if you're really... Uh, Will, if you're actually willing to pay $500 for a car, you're not going to say that to begin with. I mean, that's a bad example. It's a really cheap car. But it's a negotiation tactic. So that's what they did, and Bernie Sanders has played into the theater. Uh, he was yelling and really firing everything he said. I agreed with, of course. But he was, he was talking about a part of the bill that had no chance of making it through. It was going to go either way, and people are giving him credit for this. And they did this so that the progressives would feel good, so that we'd feel like we actually got something. Bernie Sanders' fiery speech was all theater. And the Republicans set up the bill so there'd be a fake argument and fake feeling of achievement among the left in the United States. Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Ro Khanna, they all voted for this disgusting excuse for an economic relief package. So did Ilhan Omar, and as far as I know, AOC. And on all of them, that was either stupid or naive. But, but what it definitely was, was cowardly. Shame on all of you. When we need resistance the most, you guys rolled over. And I'm sorry, guys, but they are sorry excuses for revolutionists. It's time to take this revolution seriously and stop with the bullshit. Like I said before, when shit hits the fan, the real leaders stand up, and no one's standing up. AOC had a fiery speech, too. She did, but she voted for it, didn't she? Yes, she did. They don't care if you have a fiery speech. They care about how you fucking vote. Okay? And we are coming into a Great Depression. 
And we need to be vigilant and aware of what the people in power are doing right now. And we need to make plans to start making power grabs of our own. The left needs to get fucking serious about power. Because as of right now, it's not. Every single lefty campaign, Warren, Sanders, Yang, Gabbard, prove that they aren't serious about power. So it's up to us to start getting fucking serious about power. One last thing about current events. Uh, this, this is something that happened, or that I heard about pretty recently before I started recording this. That the United States has identified Maduro, the president of Venezuela, as a narco-terrorist. And I can't even say that without laughing. Because it is bullshit, guys. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. And also the United States of America has added sanctions to Iran. So those two things, that, that's really revealing of the United States, in my opinion. What this shows is that our, our empire that is fueled by imperialism is, uh, is taking advantage of the world when it's weak. It knows Iran is at its weakest, so it puts more sanctions on. We are purposely starving the people of Iran. We are purposely starving the people of Venezuela. And then we call Maduro a narco-terrorist. I don't by it for a second. Uh, I can't prove to you that it's not true. I, I don't think that burden's on me, though, and I, I'm willing to bet my left foot that, uh, that they haven't shown any evidence either, or any proof, or any actual serious evidence. I, I almost guarantee that. Anyways, that ends the current events segment. Stay vigilant. We need to start calling for relief of sanctions against Venezuela and Iran. And we need to recognize who the actual leader of Venezuela is. I mean, it's fucking ridiculous that we don't. Uh, I mean, it's nothing new. And I'm going to be talking a lot about American imperialism in future episodes and everything. It's actually probably my most passionate subject is America's, uh, is America's foreign policy and imperial ways. But anyways, now time for my segment of my socialist beliefs. This is the part of the podcast where I talk about my socialist beliefs and I generally try to educate about uh, socialist beliefs and uh, promote a socialist revolution in the United States of America, which is what the entire podcast is about. So there are a few little things I want to mention before starting with what I mean when I'm talking about socialism, which is what I'm mostly going to talk about today. But the first, the first things I want to mention is that I'm not an expert about any of this stuff at all. I've never taken a political science class or an economics class. I am uh, going to college just to be a musician. It's literally just like, you know, computer uh, music production stuff. So I'm really just a musician that's talking shit on a podcast. That At the end of the day, that really is all I am. Uh... I'm a politics nerd, though. It's an obsession of mine. I spend a lot of time on it. And this podcast has really just given me a voice more than anything else. It's really the point of it. Uh, with all that being said, I'm very confident in my beliefs. But I'm also completely open to changing them based on information that I hear. I'm a realist. I base my beliefs on logic. And this is the reason that I will always be open for new information and evaluation. Now on to the... To the question, what is socialism? This term has been extremely, has extremely evolved and 
been misused throughout time, and the historical context behind the word has drained a lot of its meaning from society today. Even Bernie Sanders calls himself a democratic socialist, which is not accurate. His platform represents social democracy, which is still a capitalist economic system. Uh, so I just wanted to be clear. When I say socialist or democratic socialist even, I'm not talking about AOC or Bernie Sanders. Uh, when I'm referring to them or their ideology, I will call it social democracy. When I'm talking about socialism, I'm talking about the restructuring of the means of production and economic incentives in the interests of the majority and democracy. This is by no means what Bernie Sanders' platform is. This is a step past his platform. I agree with everything on this platform, I just don't think it's enough. And I see his welfare state vision as a temporary solution to a troubled system that needs to be permanently replaced. There are a lot of factions among the far left, so I'm going to define socialism in a way that I believe would be agreed to by pretty much all of these factions. Uh, the main point is that we need to move past capitalism and set up a post-capitalist economic system. Basically, this is the belief that we can do better than capitalism and that we ought to do better due to the violent and unstable nature of capitalism. Now, I'm going to keep speaking in very broad terms, but from what I've gathered, socialism is the bridge between capitalism and communism. And communism is a classless society where people make decisions on their society's future democratically and everyone owns all the means of production equally among a community, where democracy and cooperation are honored above all, and a classless society is achieved, where liberty, prosperity, democracy, and equality of opportunity is guaranteed and prioritized. It's basically the concept of socialism in full swing. And this is why I call myself a socialist instead of a communist, simply because we don't live in a socialist country yet, and capitalism is still very much thriving in the USA. So the next step is socialism. Uh, I call this podcast the patriotic communist because these concepts of liberty, equality of opportunity are all as patriotic as it gets. The idea that your last name has nothing to do with how far you can get. These are all the things that us Americans truly deeply believe in, but our system has completely failed at achieving them. But this does not mean that we can't keep fighting for these patriotic ideals. And in my opinion, really what being a patriot is about is wanting the best for your fellow Americans. And I'm from Virginia, from a military family, so I really value being a patriot. And communism is about as American-loving as you can get. It's about as patriotic as you can get. Uh, the reason people think it's literally the opposite is, uh, is because of capitalists controlling our country and brainwashing the living hell out of it for 70 years. I, I think it's important to try to break these stigmas. And that's why that's the name of the show. I mean, the patriotic communist. It's not an oxymoron. In fact, right when I made the podcast, uh, someone texted me that I went to school with, that's uh, right wing, and he told me it was an oxymoron. And I, I completely disagree. And that was why I named it this, because, you know, people think it is. Uh, 
Now, I also want to mention that capitalism is proven to make the quality of life for, bet, uh, for people in a, in a society better than it was under previous economic systems, such as feudalism and slavery. It also incentivizes extremely impressive technological advancements and has resulted in a gigantic list of achievements. You can't deny any of this. So I don't, I don't deny those things. There are positive things about capitalism, but the cons still outweigh the pros. Throughout history, we have seen examples of governments and societies that have aspects of communism and socialism, some more than others, and some have been total disasters. But I want to be clear, a key aspect of socialism is the idea of freedom and democracy in your community, where you have real control over your own life, where you get to choose what you want to do, and you have a say when it comes to your livelihood and workplace. This was not the Soviet Union. When the Soviet Union fell, it was an achievement for socialism and communism. They were using the language of socialism and communism as propaganda due to the revolutionary roots of their government. But in reality, the workers in the Soviet Union were lacking this freedom just like uh, they are in capitalist systems. China is a good example of a strange hybrid of communism and capitalism. My biggest problems with China are censorship and lack of journalist free, uh, journalistic freedom and a lack of real freedom for the people in general. And this usually comes with an authoritarian government, which is not a concept that, that I jive with. Uh, what you can't deny, though, is that they have pulled more people out of poverty than any other society ever has. We can't deny that Cuba, a communist country, has fantastic literacy rates, even better than the U.S., and that they export more doctors than any other country on the planet. We can't deny that Bolivia has pulled their people out of poverty through uh, socialist means, or perhaps social democratic means, and the results have been incredibly positive for the people every time these systems go into place, uh, at least in one way or another. But while you can't deny the authoritarian nature of uh, specific uh, communist and socialist governments that have existed, Cuba included authoritarian, uh, you also can't deny the authoritarian tendencies of the United States government, such as how they spy on their own people. They put whistleblowers in prison. We have had torture programs. And we have more people in prison than China, even though our population is less than half of theirs. So I understand if you have real disagreements with socialism and communism, but to say it's black and white or that these ideologies are immoral, or to say that communism and socialism equals authoritarianism, I would say is ignorant and factually not true. I mean, in capitalism, the means of production is authoritarian. There is an owner that gets final say and veto power over literally any decision whatsoever. So to argue that communism is inherently authoritarian but not explain why is stupid. Because I could explain why capitalism is inherently authoritarian. At least when it comes to producing goods. Anyways, I also want to mention that socialism or even communism is not a perfect system or a utopia. And also it does not thrive for the equality of outcome. And when I hear this, I want to pull my hair out. The reason 
this is such a frustrating subject is because people will talk very confidently and righteously about this shit when they don't know what they're talking about. Communism is all about the equality of opportunity and the sharing of resources and opportunity to a point where society is classless. So in other words, this system really calls for equality of opportunity, a legitimate democracy where your vote, your voice, your rights are just as valued as anybody else's, regardless of your parents, race, or ethnicity. Communism is about real freedom, where you are allowed to pursue your dreams without being afraid of being evicted for not paying your bills. It's about a society where you can take serious risks, because you know your fellow Americans won't let you live without a home or without food. So when you hear some asshole like Jordan Peterson yell about stuff he doesn't even fucking read up on, you know that he is an actor, simply emotional theater for his audience to feel good while watching. I mean, like, what? I don't even know what he's trying to get at. Some creepy society where all the houses look the same, all the clothes look the same, and everyone is assigned the same clothes. That, that, I mean, it's just goofy and pathetic. Now, I'm going to talk about what socialism means to me. So, what I'm saying here is all my opinion, and I'm not speaking for the average socialist. I would say that the key concepts of socialism, for me, come in a few pieces. One of them would be the idea that politics and economics are intertwined. So, I know Karl Marx talked about this part, by the way, a lot. So, to pretend to make them ignorant of each other is foolish. These systems are connected deeply, and we need to design an economic system that actually reflects our democratic principles as well as a democratic system. That reflects these. And uh, I think that's a key point to, uh, to my socialist beliefs. I also believe that the means of production is a key to the power in our society, and it belongs to the people. In other words, I believe our economy should be run by worker co-op. So this would require abolishing private business. Another key aspect of socialism for me is that classes in society are a problem that are largely arbitrary and extremely exacerbated because of capitalism. Now, yes, I know some people are smarter than others. Some people are taller. That is irrelevant, though. It does not mean they deserve more power over the direction of all of our lives. I also believe everyone should have a birthright to a decent standard of living regardless of, uh, of working or anything else. And I really do think that it's naive and stupid for people to, to act like if you did that, uh, everyone would lay in bed and watch YouTube all day. No one would do work and nothing would get done. I, I think that's insane. I mean, there's still ways you could incentivize work to be done, clearly. And... While I'm at this point, I do think that this is the key point to where you need to, where we need large scale discussion to get it completely right. But we do need to make sure the incentives are strong enough for a society to be productive enough to actually be fully functional and, uh, and productive as well. I believe working should make you so you really strive in a society, not only get by. I also think it is very important to distribute goods to the people that need them before anything else. The incentives of the system should be shaped around sustainability and, pro and prosperity for the most people possible. Now, I'm going to explain the details as to why I think a socialist revolution is what we need and why I call myself a socialist rather than a social democrat. 
The fatal contradiction of capitalism is that for the production and distribution side of the economy to make the most money in relation to workers' costs, the owners cut wages and even go after things like welfare program money, and they do this in order to increase their profit. And doing this, uh, cutting wages and going after welfare program money and going after tax cuts, doing this ultimately makes it so the consumer base for your products and the entire economy have less money and therefore less capacity to buy your goods. So the immediate small picture economic incentive for employers and owners of businesses is to underpay employees. But when it comes to the bigger picture economy, doing the opposite would actually be economically more productive for everybody. And this is a huge unavoidable contradiction of capitalism. And I just put it in simple terms, but this exacerbation of workers' exploitation comes in so many forms other than paychecks, such as think tanks and political action committees and corporate bailouts. These are simply ways that the powerful keep economic power away from the people. And this is because this system incentivizes taking power away from people rather than sharing power within the community. This is the fundamental flaw of capitalism. This contradiction really is a key reason as to why I am not a social democrat. We have already had social democracy in the United States less than a hundred years ago, and the consolidation of power and wealth still found a way to bring us back here, where income inequality has skyrocketed. And this new stimulus package I was talking about is going to give us another big push in that direction. This is the nature of capitalism. Another point of disagreement between socialists like me and social democrats like Bernie Sanders is the concept of redistribution. I believe in abolishing private ownership. And people freak out when I say this, but I'm not talking about your car or TV. People will still have stuff. I'm talking about the land under your feet that belongs to us all, the resources under the ground, the water in the rivers, and the businesses that we all rely on to live. Keep in mind, ownership and possessions are two different things. Having possessions does not cause alienation, but ownership of private property does. Social Democrats think we need to keep capitalism, just put much higher taxes and offer more social programs so everyone has a solid social safety net. So basically a welfare state. It's raising taxes in order to benefit all of society, especially the most vulnerable. And while I do agree that this is needed in the system, of course, and that it is an important first step, I think it fundamentally makes no sense. Why? Would we make a system that gives the wealthy and powerful the feeling of ownership over their massive profit in turn just to take it away? I mean, on its face, that's an obvious recipe for class conflict and it's unsustainable. So yes, we do need higher taxes, but I would argue that if we stop at higher taxes but don't try to confront the fundamental problems with capitalism, then what you will see over time is the wealthy people's taxes going down and our political systems once again becoming more and more corrupted. It happens every time. We used to have a good living wage and we used to have free college education and these things were not that long ago at all. Why fight for change if the root of the problem is still there. Why fight for only 100 years of change? In my opinion, it makes sense to distribute our goods, resources, and wages in a way that stops the inequality at the root. Otherwise, you will always be fighting capitalism. 
And the only way to take on this problem at the root is take profit incentive and private ownership out of the economic system. I hope this uh, segment did a good job in clearing up what my general socialist beliefs are and uh, really the path that I think we need to go down. I think if we don't confront the fundamental flaws of capitalism in bold ways, we're going to run out of time. One last point I want to make on this front. All these people call the climate crisis a crisis, but they've really proven that they're not behaving like it's a crisis uh, in the slightest. Why don't we need socialism in order to combat that crisis? Uh, I mean, do we want to wait until that's too late, the same way we did with the coronavirus? Again, you can root all of these massive problems that have been accumulating over time in our society on the global economic system. Anyways, we need, we need to confront the fundamental flaws of capitalism if we want to advance as a country. I love this country. And to anyone who's listening, thank you for listening. And hopefully I will see you next week. And yeah, stay safe. Crazy times right now. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Patriotic Communist. All of the music you heard in this podcast was produced and performed by me, Max Rice. And if you would like to check it out, just search Max Rice on any streaming platform. That's M-A-X-R-I-C-E. Yes, like the food, rice. This is Max Rice signing off. Powers, I mentioned y'all try to lessen questions and attentions. Money equals power. We gotta kill this connection. These force fed concepts make no sense. How y'all hating immigrants and we control by the one percent. Zombified by screens, dehumanization comes easily. All here are Americans' premises, but this line of thought is a normality. Full of fallacies while we stay combative overseas. Lots of more laws as far as I can see. You know what case because of the mass distractions we're expected to not question how the government uses our taxes unless it's helping people that they rebel like that's all to see though we need to free the people we need a fucking hero we need some mlk fd style of change we're full of pain and ignorant but won't live in fear though we need some yellow vest bulletproof vests and bold claims we need that fire in our hearts that can't be tamed we need to reject and correct our collective violent actions but it won't happen Fuck. We're all distracted.